0: Welcome back to the Dershow, Show. The conflict between the Biden administration and former President Trump, future presidential candidate Trump, possibly, uh, is quickly coming to a head. Um, Trump's lawyers filed a very interesting motion today. Uh, it was a motion to have the court um, appoint a special examiner, uh, a special master who could go through all of the papers that were seized in the search and determine whether any of them are privileged, are covered by the executive privilege, the lawyer-client privilege, the Fifth Amendment privilege, or any other uh, privileges. Now, the Biden administration has taken the constitutionally strange position, one that I think is indefensible, that the the incumbent president, the sitting president, namely President Biden, can waive the executive privilege of the former president and possibly future uh, president. This makes no sense at all. Constitutionally, it makes no sense politically, it makes no sense logically. If there is an executive privilege, it means that the president has the right to confer with his cabinet members, with his chief of staff, with his legal counsel, with any advisors, uh, in in President Trump's case, with me. Um, Obviously, he sought advice from me on the Middle East and on Israel and Iran and other other situations like that. The executive privilege, which derives from Article 2 of the Constitution, basically says that A president can, with full confidence in the confidentiality of his communication, seek advice from all of those people. Now comes along the Biden administration, apparently, apparently, this comes from a letter that's been disclosed. It's not 100 percent clear, but according to uh, news reports, it seems likely that the Biden administration has said, no, 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 we waive, we waive President Trump's executive privilege. You can't do that. You can't do that. That eliminates executive privilege. Let's put it in the context of Biden. Let's assume, hypothetically, Biden had a conversation with his chief of staff. And he said to his chief of staff, Look, Mr. Klein, do you think I ought to waive this privilege? And Klein says to him, You know, it would really help you politically if you run for re election. And he runs for re election. And, 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 then, and Biden says to, to Klein, yeah, but would it be in the national interest? And Klein says, no, don't worry about that. Just worry about re- being reelected. And let's assume he doesn't get reelected. Trump gets reelected. Trump then waives Biden's privilege. And all of this comes out. So, you know, what's good for the goose and the shoe on the other foot test? Do we really want to eliminate executive privilege? Because that's exactly what the Biden administration seems to be doing it. You can't have executive privilege for me, but not for thee. If you have executive privilege, it has to apply to your opponents and to yourself. And if you're going to waive it for your opponents, then you have to waive it for yourself. You know, a lot of people have been talking about the search and objecting to it because it involved a former president. That's not the proper grounds for waiving it. Former presidents don't really have any special status or special uh, privileges in general. What concerns me is that the person who's being searched is not only the former president, but potentially the future presidential candidate who will be running against the incumbent president. And so the incumbent president's attorney general and White House staff are basically saying, we'll take action, maybe at good faith, maybe in good faith, but action which has the effect of hurting the candidate who's running against our guy, that doesn't pass the smell test. Uh, That doesn't pass the shoe on the other foot test. And Just to put put it in context, let's remember what a search warrant does that a subpoena doesn't do. Recall that the material that was in Mar-a-Lago was subpoenaed by the Justice Department. And there were negotiations going on. And the government said, put a secure lock on, do this, do that. And they did all that. And then, uh, instead of pursuing the subpoena, remember, if you're not satisfied when the negotiations over a subpoena, it's very simply just go to court and say, we're now enforcing the subpoena. No more negotiations. Produce the boxes. And the president would then have to produce the boxes, subject to objections based on various privileges, and then the privileges would have to be assessed. But by doing a search warrant, which the Justice Department concedes is the more intrusive mechanism, which shouldn't generally be used, what they do is they circumvent the Fourth Amendment, the Fifth Amendment, the Sixth Amendment, and executive privilege. Let me go through each of the amendments. Why Why the Fourth Amendment? Well, the Fourth Amendment requires that there be probable cause, there was probable cause here, probably, and that the search be done for particular items with great specificity. Um, That's not the way searches are conducted. Anything in plain view, anything that can be seen by the people doing the searches are, are fair game. And we know that the FBI has developed incredible peripheral vision, they see everything, or at least they say they see everything when it comes to court. So a search is much, much more intrusive and and much broader than a subpoena. Uh, They couldn't subpoena material uh, from Mrs. Trump's closet. And yet a search, you go into Mrs. Trump's closet, you go into the safe, maybe nothing was there, but what basis did they have for believing there was something in the safe? We may know that, we may learn that when the affidavit in support of the search warrant Is is revealed. So, a search warrant really undercuts the 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 values implicit in the Fourth Amendment, which definitely favors subpoenas over search warrants. The Fifth Amendment. So, this sounds strange, but any American has the right to refuse to comply with a subpoena on the ground that the mere fact of turning over the document is incriminating. Let's assume that a person has drugs, cocaine, heroin, in his medicine cabinet. And the government says, turn over the drugs you have in your medicine cabinet. Now, the drugs themselves are not covered by the Fifth Amendment. But the fact that he's turning them over does incriminate him. It proves that he had possession of the drugs. So in order for the government to get that, they generally have to give what's called production immunity. All right, we're going to take the drugs by subpoena, but we can never tell the jury where we got it from. We can never say that you turn them over. It's how many angels can dance on the head of a pin. The, the argument is not from a practical point of view, particularly important, but that's what a search amendment, a, a search warrant trumps, to use a bad term. It, you, you don't get production immunity because you're not the one producing it. The government is coming in and taking it. Well, what about the Sixth Amendment? Well, the Sixth Amendment has lawyer-client privilege implicit in it. Uh, any conversations you have with your lawyer are are privileged. And and if they seize everything, they seize everything. And then there's Article Two of the Constitution, which implicit within it is executive privilege. And a search warrant trumps executive privilege as well. Because a search warrant gathers up everything. And then the defendant can come in and seek to suppress this or seek to exclude that. But the cat's out of the bag. The toothpaste is out of the tube. You can't put it back in. And, 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 and that's why a special master is being appointed. And maybe too late, the special master and the motion was, don't let the government look at anything in those 12 or whatever boxes there were. Have the special master go over them. And then each document will be evaluated. Is this document covered by lawyer-client privilege? Is it a conversation between President Trump and his personal lawyer? Um, Is there any other privilege that might be applicable? Um, Executive privilege. Now, the Biden administration has tried to use two methods to circumvent executive privilege, um, and they are related. Before they authorized the search, they got a waiver on executive privilege, which is what I've talked about, which is to me unconstitutional. And I think the Supreme Court will agree with me on that if it ever gets to the Supreme Court. But in any event, whether it's held constitutional or unconstitutional, the FBI has it. They're rushing to read it. Trump is rushing to court to get a special master appointed. I don't think it will happen. It has happened in a number of cases uh, in New York and elsewhere where special masters have been appointed. I was involved in a litigation once where a special master was uh, appointed. He was a very distinguished uh, lawyer, or maybe he was a former judge, I don't remember. And he went through things and decided what was admissible and what was not admissible. Obviously, that's all subject to review by the court itself. But a special master serves an important purpose and the government is opposed to it. I don't think they should be opposed to it. I think they should welcome it. They should welcome an objective, neutral assessment of these papers. And if the special master rules that they're admissible, it gives them protection as well. So that's up before the judge. I think it will be turned down. The next question, of course, which will be determined in two days, or at least will be argued in two days, whether it's going to be determined then or not, I don't know. The government has two more days to simply say to the court, this sentence goes out, this name goes out, this paragraph is redacted, this paragraph is sealed. They have the right to do that in the next two days. Now, I don't know whether the judge will rule immediately. I doubt he will. What the judge may do And that would be the smart thing to do is to say, all right, here's the stuff that nobody claims should be redacted. These paragraphs. So I'll immediately release those paragraphs, those sentences to the public. And then I'll take into consideration the arguments and the arguments are one sided because the government says in secret. This name can't be revealed or this sentence can't be revealed because it's about an ongoing investigation and it will compromise witnesses or compromise um, uh, confidential informants. The other side doesn't get to see him because that would compromise informants. So it's a one sided argument. It's between the judge and the government. We saw what happened with the FISA warrant and, you know, the Russia stuff. And we saw the government was not completely truthful. And they have a special obligation to be truthful, especially when it's ex-party. Ex-party means that both sides aren't heard. That was true of a search warrant. When you get a search warrant, only one side is heard. When you get a subpoena, both sides are heard. When you get redaction, only one side is heard. Uh, remember also that this case, although technically it involves two parties, really involves three parties. The two parties to the current lawsuit are simply the government of the United States on one side and the media, several representatives of the media, I think the Miami Herald and a few others. Uh, Donald Trump is not a party, but he's, of course, a very interested person. They're his documents, and, um, uh, and they have conflicting views. Obviously, Trump would like a resolution that helps him. The government wants a resolution that helps its case, and the media wants everything out there because it wants to sell soap. It wants to sell newspapers. It obviously, if you take it more positively, it wants to inform the public under the First Amendment. But, of course, the media is a business and businesses have their own interests as well. So on Thursday, we'll have a better sense. What I don't know is what part of the arguments on Thursday, if there are arguments, will be made public. All I know is at the moment, the government, by Thursday, I don't know if it's close of business or middle of the day, whatever the time is, I'm just not aware of that. Um, The government has to produce its claims of redaction and its argument in their behalf. There may not be a hearing. It may just be a submission to the judge. The judge may then call the government in and say, really? What about this? Um, What about that? I think The media and Trump ought to participate in this. They can't participate by seeing it. They can't participate by disputing what should be redacted, but they can do it in terms of categories. For example, if I were the media, if I were Trump, particularly if I were the media, I'd come in right now and say, all right, there may be disputes about the names of cooperating witnesses, undercover agents, uh, potential witnesses, et cetera. All right. All right. now Put that one aside. But then the government is going to claim, and I mentioned this yesterday on the show, the government's going to claim, but we don't want to disclose the theory of our case. There, without knowing the theory of the case, both Trump and the media come in and say, no, that's nonsense. That's not a basis for withholding information. The theory of the case, why is that a secret? Who is that protecting? The government should disclose right now what its theory is. Are they going under the Espionage Act of 1917? If so, which provision of the Espionage Act? Are they going on other statutes which are cited in the search warrant? Which provisions? What is the theory? If this were a criminal case, I'd immediately be seeking a bill of particulars. And the bill of particulars gives us the theory. What is it? What allegations are being made? The government always says we're not giving the theory. We're just giving responses to the bill of particulars. But when a bill of particulars is presented, often that really gives away the theory. And of course, the defense always wants to know more and the government always wants it to know less. Now, there are two considerations here. One is tactical advantage to the government. They're litigants. There are two sides. If there is a case of the United States versus Donald Trump, I hope there's not because it will divide the country uh, terribly. But if there is a case of the United States versus Donald Trump, each side will have its own interests at stake. The government wants to increase its advantage and the defense wants to increase its advantage. But the government claims something else. The government says, no, 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 we're not interested in our advantage. We're not interested so much in that. We're interested in protecting informers. We're interested in all. Yeah. But that doesn't apply to the theory of the case. The theory of the case should be disclosed and, and should be uh, made, made public. I think a lot more should be made uh, public as well. And I think The presumption should always be in a democracy, a presumption of transparency, a presumption of when in doubt, let it out. Um, Now, obviously, once you let it out, you can't take it back. But when you keep it in and you keep it secret, it prevents us, the American public, from assessing the legitimacy of what went on. And this is a very important public issue. You know, half of America doesn't trust. I don't know if it's half, maybe a third, maybe more than half, doesn't trust the government and the Justice Department and the FBI. I generally have a high level of trust. I've obviously cross-examined FBI agents. I've uh, worked with FBI agents. I like FBI agents for the most part. They've been very, very uh, professional. And um, I also have good relationship with with judges. Um, and I just don't want to see us bad-mouthing the individual judges, the individual uh, FBI agents, but I want to make sure that we apply the right level of disclosure. I certainly don't want to see any witnesses hurt or threatened. I don't want to see judges threatened, and apparently judges have been threatened. FBI agents have been threatened. That's wrong, and anybody who threatens a judge or a witness should be prosecuted. There are criminal statutes that specifically prohibit threatening judges, threatening witnesses, intimidating witnesses, trying to coerce witnesses. Of course, the government violates those statutes every day. You think people come forward to testify for the government because they like testifying or because they want to? No, they come to testify because the government has them by the short hairs. The government says, you have two choices, neither of them are good. Either you testify on our behalf or we indict you. Or they'll say, You really have only one choice. We're going to indict you. But if you testify on our behalf, maybe we'll recommend a shorter sentence or the judge will impose a shorter sentence. So there's a lot of coercion, uh, implicit, sometimes fairly explicit. There was a case uh, some years ago um, in Canada where the government's pressures were so great, they threatened to put the witness in a jail cell with a particularly violent criminal, and let the criminal administer justice to him. And the guy says, fine, I'll be a cooperating witness. Um, that was thrown out. Um, but in the normal course of events, uh, the government does apply coercion and does apply the kind of pressures that if a defense attorney ever dreamed of doing that, they'd all be in jail. So, you know, this is not a level playing field when it comes to witnesses and when it comes to the adversary system. Uh, supposed to make up for that by the fact that the government has to prove its case beyond a reasonable doubt. Look, I don't think there should be an indictment of President Trump based on everything I've seen up to now. The Wall Street Journal has an interesting article today arguing that a president, a former president, has the right to take the papers with him, and there wasn't even a violation of law. I don't know whether that's true or not, but I'll tell you one thing I do know. If they're going after him, if they would indict President Trump on a disputed charge, on a charge that half of America thinks doesn't justify prosecution, it will tear this country apart. There has to be the Nixon standard. The standard has to be that the charges are so serious and so clear and so undisputed, indisputable that even Republicans agree. That's why Nixon was forced out of office. Not because the Democrats wanted him impeached, but because Republicans wanted him impeached. And the Republicans came to him and they said, unless you resign, we will join the Democrats. We will impeach you and we will convict you. That hasn't happened since. It didn't happen in the Clinton case, strictly along party lines. It didn't happen in Trump number one, almost completely party lines, Mitt Romney uh, dissenting. And it didn't happen in, in, in uh, uh, impeachment too, uh, although more people went along. And unless that's the criteria that's employed to get a criminal prosecution, again, not against a former president, but against a future rival to the current president, a future presidential candidate, this country will be torn apart. Now, there's an article in the New York Times by one of their usual people saying, no, it will tear the country apart, even worse, not to indict him. That's just not true. That's just not true. Indeed, I think it would be something that would unite the country if that didn't happen. Now, it depends on what the facts are. And that's why I want to see the affidavit. It depends on how strong their case is. If they have a really, really strong case, and it has to be a lot stronger than the cases they had against Hillary Clinton and Sandy Berger, again, they have to be cases of the kind that satisfy the Nixon standard. I don't see that at the moment, but it may be there. And if it's there, I will withdraw what I've said, and reevaluate and reassess. At the moment, I'm very skeptical. And at the moment, I think the best disinfectant is sunlight. Let's see the affidavit. Let's get a special master. Let's not circumvent the fourth, fifth, sixth amendments and Article Two of the Constitution. And let's not let the get-Trump zealots determine what our Constitution should, is like and how it should be interpreted. Right now, the radical get-Trump zealots are prepared to trash the Constitution. They're prepared to uh, trash the rule of law They're prepared to trash precedent, all in the name of of getting Trump. There's a better way to get Trump. Work hard against this election if you are opposed to him. Go to the polls. Bring out voters. That's the American way. I have the right to vote against him for president, just as you, some of you, have the right to vote for him. That's the way the presidency of the future should be decided, not by an attorney general, Not by bureaucrats, not by people in the National Archives, but by the citizens of the United States. All right, let's turn to some letters. Uh, Where are they? Oh, yeah. This is a really sweet one. Um, I know it's way too late, sir, but I have officially adopted you as my grandpa. You're awesome. Well... Sorry, I have two grandchildren. They're awesome. Uh, they're both in medical school, and I'm very proud of them. And so I have enough grandchildren, but I appreciate the sentiment. Um, then something else. You're such a toady when it comes to Trump. If this had happened to Clinton or Obama, you'd be singing an entirely different song at this stage. I don't know what the heck he's talking about. I am singing an entirely song. The same song as I always sing, regardless of who it is, you'd be an attack dog instead of a lack dog whimpering about procedures when this is beyond a reasonable doubt. I'm not whimpering. I'm attacking the Justice Department, especially given the warrant and where and when they raided. Nothing specific about it. Get real. You're on the side of evil and can't even see it in your intellectual stupor. Um, I think this guy is writing to the wrong person. I think I've been very clear and very objective, and I've certainly not pulled any punches uh, about defending uh, somebody I didn't vote for and and, uh, attacking the party I voted for. So, okay. Thank you so much for responding to my question regarding impeachment and double jeopardy. This is a really intellectual, serious question. It's a good one. Um, um, You responded to my question with respect to a president that has been impeached and convicted. Remember, I said that if he's been impeached and convicted, he can still be retried. Double jeopardy doesn't apply. What is your opinion with respect to a president who has been impeached and acquitted? Would double jeopardy apply to President Trump with respect to January 6th criminal charges? Um, The uh, uh, Constitution expressly addresses the situation, and then they quote, for a party convicted, but says nothing about a party acquitted. The Constitution framers appear to have made a clear distinction. Now, I think the Constitution framers just simply didn't think of it. Um, and I think if you read the Constitution in context, it probably suggests that double jeopardy doesn't apply at all to uh, to impeachment, whether it's conviction or acquittal. But it's a terrific question. If a student had asked that question, raised that question on an exam in my class. That would, be, that would be an A-plus question. That's a really, really clever question, a question that people hadn't thought of before, a question I'm not sure of the answer. And, you know, I would always tell my students, if you mimic what I see in class, you'll get a good grade, a solid C, maybe a C-plus if you write well. But I'm not giving you a lot of credit just for repeating what I say in class. If you criticize and really challenge what I'm saying and you Win the argument with me, that's the A plus. And so I would always prefer students uh, who who argued with me. Maybe that's why uh, I've always said that um, the current senator from Texas um, was one of the smartest students um, in my my class because he always argued with me and sometimes even persuaded me. We still are totally uh, different, uh, Ted Cruz and I, but um, uh, I write him. Occasionally, give him my ideas. And he'll write me back and disagree with me, but we're still in we're still in dialogue. What attacking a Democrat judge is no good. Kiss my ass. This guy and his party are communists pushing crime dealers and should be condemned to life in prison for committing crimes against the people of America, treason, which is punishable by death according to the Constitution. Not so. Uh, making our country look like fools when we're not. Please deep six yourself as soon as possible. Assimilate yourself, I don't know what that means, to dust. It will be your best option moving forward and success to the United States. Please go to dust quickly. Now, I think I know what he means by go to dust. The next one, which seems to be his cousin, uh, your Jewish pedophile communism is showing. Good job. What the F are you talking about? Oh, never mind. I get it. He's part of the self, I don't know what the word is, Kuzanite tribe, and you watch out for each other. Um, um, these, and uh, just goes on and on and on. So I'm defending uh, Reinhardt because allegedly he's Jewish. I have no idea whether he's Jewish or not. I couldn't care less. Um, uh, but by the way, um, uh, so is Garland, and I'm not defending him I, I don't defend people on the grounds of their ethnicity um, oh the next one is the same as soon as I saw the title of your video about Reinhardt I knew he was Jewish I don't even know why I bothered to check but sure enough he is what a surprise you know the rampant anti-Semitism and bigotry that still operates in the United States and 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 appears, too frequently in my emails, not in every email, but enough emails. Um, um, And then this one is related to that, but not quite. Oh, we shouldn't criticize the FBI agents. They were only following orders. I've heard that defense before. I think it was at the Nuremberg trials. Uh, I can't recall whether it worked or not. Dirsch would have cognitive dissidence if he were not so set in his ways. The idea of comparing what the FBI did at Mar-a-Lago no matter how critical you might be, they went in politely, said, sir, we'd like to really search this. Uh, Nobody was hurt. Nobody was put aside. Comparing that to the Gestapo uh, and saying that, you know, Gestapo people should have quit, uh, which of course they should have, and they were put on trial for not and obeying orders was not a defense. It's quite different when you have a search warrant signed by a judge asking you to peacefully go into somebody's house and retrieve the material, uh, it's quite, quite a bit different. I disagree with a lot of Professor Dershowitz's policy proposals, but man, I love listening to him. There are not many legends like Alan left. So, you know, I get different points of view. I appreciate getting different points of view. The important thing is that we can still talk we can talk to each other, even the, the vicious email that I get. And I haven't read you the most vicious emails. I, I don't want to even look at them. My son, who gathers them off the computer, gets so upset when he reads some of these things. I mean, not upset for me. I have a thick skin. But upset that there still exists in America the kind of racists and bigots and um, horrible people that, and they watch my show. Why are you watching my show? Please stop watching my show. I'm not gonna convince you. You're not gonna convince me. You're beyond any hope. Uh, My hope is that I can convince people who are rational, who have open minds, who have thought about these things. Most of the people who watch my show disagree with me. That's great. I much prefer to talk to people who don't agree with me, than to preach to the choir. I've never wanted to preach to the choir. As a teacher, I was always making contentious points of views simply to get dialogue going, to get conversations going. And, and, and I appreciate that. But, uh, you know, there are limits. There are no limits under the First Amendment. You guys, you bigots, are protected. If anybody comes for you, count on this Jewish whatever you want to call him, to defend you. Because I'm going to defend you even if you won't defend me. That's what I've done all my life. But I will defend you and at the same time call you despicable, racist, and bigoted, which is what you are. So keep writing. It's important that the American public knows about people like you. It's important that you come out from under your rocks for a long enough time to at least expose yourself. Let me expose you on the show. And we'll decide um, in the court of public opinion what weight, if any, to give your points of view. So keep writing. And tomorrow, maybe we'll talk about a subject other than Trump. It's Trump, Trump, Trump all the time. It's get Trump or defend Trump or defend the Constitution. I'm hoping that maybe a story will come along. I'm always reading newspapers, listening and trying to figure out what's the best show that we can put on up to now. A lot of it's been about Trump, but hopefully that too will change, and we'll be talking about other subjects as well. Looking forward to seeing you tomorrow.